one of the big legislative pushes at the State House this spring is likely to be for House Bill 804, the Clean Energy Jobs Act, with an ultimate goal of getting Illinois to fully clean green energy in a matter of a couple of decades. A big shift in Illinois and with big ramifications for utilities around the state, including our municipal utility here in Springfield, City Water, Light, and Power. Chief Utilities Engineer Doug Brown of CWLP is live with us this morning to talk more about it. Doug, good morning. Thanks for taking the time to be on the show today. Hey, good morning, Jim. How are you? Doing very well, thanks. Uh, you know, we hear a lot about clean energy, and it certainly seems like a laudable goal to be moving toward more energy sources that are renewable, that are better for the environment. Why is this a source of concern for CWLP? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> it's, it's definitely a big concern for us um, just because that, uh, you know, it's it's it has some severe impacts on our customers, you know, our citizens. So, it's it's basically you know in, in a nutshell it's gonna it's gonna make their bills go up you know the the, the they keep touting that bills are gonna go down and and that's not true for us um, you, you know so even even after that they could prematurely close unit four which is our last coal fired unit and the problem with that is you know no one wants to talk about resiliency and reliability when it comes to baseload energy that's still needed for the grid. Um, you know, and it's not just at the state level, it's at the federal level, too. Congress has got uh, um, the Clean Future Act that was just recently introduced. So it's difficult to kind of stay on top of it all. Um, so, but the reality is that a lot of these proposals are harsh on municipal utilities. And um, it's kind of misdirected because, you know, I think that we've you know shown that, you know, we are always trying to stay ahead of environmental compliance, exceeded, in fact, um, you know, and, and we're actually retiring coal units. You know, we retired 31, 32 last year, um, and 33 will retire here uh, by the fall of 2023. I mean, it could be sooner, but, um, you know, so we're reducing, like, CO2 per year by about 2 million tons probably with uh, the, the three units being retired. Well, uh, but we still have Unit 4 and our gas-fired peakers, and, you know, it's it's critical – that we have enough infrastructure, you know, for resiliency and reliability because, you know, we all know that uh, when the, the sun doesn't shine, you know, solar's not there. When the wind's not blowing the right speed, wind doesn't work. Uh, so renewables are kind of what they call just-in-time resources, meaning that, they're, you know, their fuel source arrives just exactly when you need it. Um, I mean, even natural gas is a just-time uh a resource, so a natural gas uh, combustion turbine is the same way, but a coal plant can stockpile 30 to 60 days on hand. Um, that's that's really important. But you know, as more environmental regulations and carbon taxes are being proposed, so those costs keep coming, and it's going to put coal plants, not just ours, but you know, the, the other ones, like Prairie State, that's a new one too. Um, you know, they're going to be closed much sooner than what they should be before other resilient resources can be put online that would match the equivalency of that, okay? Um, you know, battery technology is still a little ways off before that's going to happen, too. So, um, and I, I think what we hear a lot of is that, you know, the public and the public hears that, you know, from the environmental groups that coal plants are just too expensive, and renewables are cheaper. Well, yeah, that's true, but they don't take the cost of resiliency and reliability uh, into that. Okay, 
And I think we've all seen what happens in California and what has happened in Texas with rolling blackouts. Um, you know, and if we have that during harsh, you know, summer or or winter weather conditions here, it can it can turn tragic, right? I mean, if we have millions without power during those times, um, I mean, I mean, the fact is people can die. Um, so I I think that uh, you know the message can't get lost when uh, we're trying to design the electrical grid and have that outcome like that. I'm going to have you walk me through this just a little bit more slowly because you, you put a lot in there. Uh, you, you talked about the fact that it could force the early closure of Dolman 4. As you noted, we've already taken 31 and 32 offline. 33 will follow suit within the next couple of years. What in this bill could uh, force the early shutdown of Dolman 4 and would higher costs happen even if Dolman 4 remains operational? Yeah. So, you know, basically with, with one of the things that's in the, the Clean Energy Jobs Act, um, it's, it's basically putting an undue, unfair burden on our community um, and others as well for municipal, municipal utilities. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's promoting, I guess, you know, that there's, uh, you know, that there's it's a jobs bill, right? But it's not, it's, it's not really turning out that way for us. It's uh, a lot of penalties. It's going to have job losses uh, and, and, and provide risk to the electrical grid, right? Um, so what it's going to do, first and foremost, is, is basically it's going to tack on $24 million of a, of a bill increase to our customers a year. Right out of the gate. Well, what, break, break, that down by, a, break that down by a, household, though. What does that mean, $24 million in terms of a, the typical monthly bill for a consumer? Well, I don't really have that breakdown in front of me right now. Because um, I guess I'm just trying to figure out, uh, you know, again, we, we understand that there are benefits to, to having more green energy. So if I'm talking, you know, a couple of bucks a month of an increase, okay. If I'm talking, you know, 40 or $50 a month of an increase, not so good. But I don't really know how to, how to evaluate that $24 million and what that means in terms of my monthly bill. So, so uh, help, help me at least understand in some broad terms, are we talking about a huge monthly increase or a nominal monthly increase for the average consumer? Well, I mean, you know, the brunt of it is probably going to be borne by, by, by businesses, too. You know, I mean, the way our rate structure is until we redo our, our rates. But um, the... Uh, that's really going to be based upon the rate structure for that. Uh, trying to do a quick calculation here. Um, I mean, and then the issue, you know, what it gets to is that once you, you know, and put these increased costs on Unit 4, <clears throat> it's going to make it more uneconomic, right? So it's going to run less in the market. So then that means we're going to use less coal. So then if we're using less coal, the chances are that the, the Elkhart mine, you know, the Viper mine here, uh, maybe not doesn't have enough, uh, you know, we're not selling enough coal to us. We're not buying enough that uh, basically it would have to shut down. So then we would have to go further out and, and get coal. So, you know, as we do that, we got to really keep that in mind because it could really change the, the, the dynamics of having a unit that's reliable and resilient. 
We're talking so, with uh, Doug Brown, the chief utilities engineer at City Water, Light, and Power, about the potential impacts of the Clean Energy Jobs Act that is pending uh, in the Illinois General Assembly. And Doug, as you noted, we, we're moving, you know, in a direction of trying to have more of our own. Uh, reliance on renewable sources to at least an extent, more solar, more wind, et cetera here. Uh, is this just inevitable that at some point CWLP is going to be out of the coal-fired business? And, and if it's not the Clean Energy Jobs Act, how, how long will it take to get to that point? Well, you know, I mean, with the, with the Clean Energy Jobs Act, I mean, it's 2030, right? So that's the that's the deadline date for that. Um, the federal level, it's kind of a little bit further out. It's more goal eccentric that it's, it's set up, but <clears throat> it's also step increases in renewables that are that are being you know that we're required to put on. So you know, I, I would say that it's going to be between 2030 and 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 2040 is probably a, a pretty good timeline for you know for it to come off with all these regs that are being proposed. Now the question really comes to play is is you know can battery technology get there to where we can you know rely on renewables to that degree, um, and I think there, that that you know it's, it, it needs to be a balance, okay? So that's what it, that's what it needs to be for 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 you know, designing this electrical grid and and our transition to a zero carbon future. And without that, I mean you know we're doing carbon. Uh, capture technology that we're trying to, to work with the University of Illinois uh, with and the Department of Energy on a grant. Um, so, you know, we can try to prove that that technology can work and try to reduce the cost of that technology, you know, basically uh, on a small slipstream of like 10 megawatts out of our Unit 4. And if we can, they can prove that, then they can do the next phase and do an upscale version of that for like a, a full-size unit. So, I think that carbon capture is going to help maybe, you know, bridge that. But, uh, you know, we need, we need more research. We need more funding to get there. And, and hopefully, uh, you know, basically special interest groups don't keep writing energy policy without regard to resiliency and reliability. Because ironically, you're, you're arguing that this, uh, this research into carbon capture, which has obvious environmental benefits, might have to be cut short because of this clean energy legislation. There's already been a lot of money invested in this, and you're saying that basically all of that could go to waste uh, if this forces you to, to shut down uh, a coal-fired plant early before you figured out whether the carbon capture process can, can be effective. Right. I mean, it, it's 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 definitely a possibility that uh, you know <clears throat> the the deadlines that they're setting are, are too soon. Um, you know, I, I don't want to necessarily slow it down completely or anything like that. I think you know uh, the issue is that municipalities are kind of they're heading in the right direction. I mean, we we installed a small solar farm just to kind of test the waters for the my solar program, and uh, you know that's over sixty percent subscribed now, so that's coming along. Um, you know, we're actually doing an, like an RFP, too, for uh, a request for proposals for uh, basically energy and capacity replacement of Units 31, 32, and 33. And, you know, the, the projects that we're looking at are either solar farms or a natural gas plant. So I think we're getting some pretty good pricing, uh, you know, for replacement power and energy. Uh, so we're trying to get to, you know, doing our, our, our part in in the right direction you know so we're retiring coal units we're going to sources that have are less carbon intensive 
So I think that's a good thing. Um, you know, I wish I could say more on that, but we're still in negotiations on the, on the RFP, so I really can't really comment too much more on that. Sure. But back to, um, you know, what a bill might look like from this, from the, uh, this proposal for the Clean Energy Jobs Act. It could be probably anywhere from uh, like twenty to twenty-five dollars a month, or you know, for a, a customer increase. Okay. So it's it's not a, a one dollar or two dollar type of thing. And that's for and that's for residential customers. It's, it's even worse, right? For a lot of our customers, they're struggling to pay their utility bills. And just to clarify, that's for residential customers. It'd be higher for commercial customers. Correct. Yeah, okay. yeah. That's and I'm I'm kind of shooting a little bit lower on the on the on the residential number because we don't have a rate design on it. Yeah. You know. Okay. For for that, so it's kind of a of, a, of an estimate. Would you feel better about this legislation if there were different deadlines? If the timeline were extended out farther than than what's currently written into this law or into this proposed law? You, you know, I think that would that would that would be you know one aspect of it. Um, but there's a lot to the the bill that's being proposed that negatively affects municipals such as ourselves, and uh, you know just as the that reinvest community reinvestment fee or the coal service tax fee, that's going to like a statewide fund kind of thing that you know it's not really going to have the benefits for Springfield. So basically, it's taking our customers' money and and taking it somewhere else in the state, uh, which you know if if we're doing our part, why are we being penalized? You know, for that, so it doesn't make a lot of sense. Just as a, when, like, when we closed thirty-one, thirty-two, we were able to transition basically everyone, you know, from those plants to new jobs. Doug, um, Doug Brown is the so chief utilities engineer at City Water Light and Power. Doug, before we let you go, I wanted to ask you real quickly too. I know you've been uh, working through the utility on some uh, programs, uh, efforts to improve uh, land management in, in the area of the Lake Springfield watershed to avoid runoff and more silt going into uh, to the lake itself. Give me an update on that and on conditions at Lake Springfield. Uh, are, are we having an issue with with silt? Are we looking at the need for possible dredging at some point where where do things stand with the lake well i'll, I'll answer the lake one real quick um yeah i mean you know we, we do have a, a a kind of an outlook that in, in in the future we will dredge like uh here uh, west of i-55 so basically lick and sugar creek as there are the, you know our incoming water source and that's where the sediment comes in and nutrients come into the lake and that's an area that we would look at dredging in the future um but I mean, it'll it'll be a little bit, but uh, yeah, it's definitely on, on our radar of something that we want to accomplish probably in the next ten years. Um, and we do have some, you know, grants that we've been, you know, applying for year after year. I think by since 1982, we've spent eight million dollars on the watershed, and uh, some of the, the like the Illinois EPA's uh, 319 grant. Um, it's actually uh, we do it in conjunction with the Soil and Water Conservation District. Um, of Sangamon County, and uh, they so they manage it, and we supply uh, seed money for that, and along with the, the EPA to match. So our farmers can use uh, you know cover crops, uh, reduced tillage, uh, nutrient management plans, filter strips, grass waterways. Those kinds of things are called best management practices that reduce sediment and nutrient flows coming into our lake, because like 74% of our watershed is agriculture. So it's important that we work with the farmers to do that. So the farmers out there, uh, they can contact the the same county soil and water conservation district um, 
the executive director there, Shelly Seaman, uh, they can call her at uh, 217-241-6635, extension 3, um, to discuss, you know, how they can get their, their, their farmland, you know, into that grant. We also have what they call uh, NRCS, which is a federal um, uh, agency that they have an RCP program. It's a regional conservation partnership program. And uh, we're actually the head lead on that. And Sarah Lindholm uh, is the person that farmers can contact for that program. And it's basically like a five-year uh, uh, deal that we're getting. Um, it's like $3.3 million uh, total. Um, and they can contact her at you know 217-757-8660, extension 1025. And uh, you know see if they can get, you know, and either type of grant, they can't do both. They can't have like uh, you know a cover crop that's in both programs at the same time. It has to be you know that's only allocated you know uh, one project per per grant. Gotcha. We'll have this conversation posted as a podcast later at wmay.com. Anybody interested can go back, check that information, uh, and get those numbers uh, to learn more about it. A lot going on at City Water Light and Power. Doug Brown, the chief utilities engineer. We always appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on this morning. Thanks, Jim. I appreciate it.